This is the Week in Addiction Medicine, a podcast resource of timely news and top stories brought to you by the American Society of Addiction Medicine, ASAM. Today is Tuesday, June 13th, and I'm Claire Rasmussen. Our lead story this week, ketamine versus ECT for non-psychotic treatment-resistant major depression, is a New England Journal of Medicine. In this study, the authors conducted an open-label, randomized, non-inferiority trial with 403 patients to compare the effectiveness of ketamine to electroconvulsive therapy. Ketamine was found to be non-inferior to ECT for treatment response as reported by decrease in depressive symptoms. Both treatments were associated with improved quality of life, but the ECT group did have a greater decline in memory performance. Crucially, this trial excluded patients with major depression and psychosis, given that previous studies have found ketamine to be inferior to ECT among those patients. Next is a study titled Association of Selected State Policies and Requirements for Buprenorphine Treatment with Per Capita Months of Treatment in JAMA Health Forum. This study examined the effect of six laws enacted by certain states on the amount of buprenorphine prescribed, measured as buprenorphine treatment months per 1,000 residents, also known as BTMPR. Nationally, BTMPR increased from 1.5 in 2006 to 22.8 in 2018. States that required education of buprenorphine prescribers beyond the X waiver requirements showed an increase of 14.4 BTMPR after five years. Requiring CME on SUD showed an increase of 11.4 BTMPR after five years. The authors conclude that the additional education increased clinicians' confidence in their ability to prescribe buprenorphine. Education also increases awareness of the efficacy of MOUD, thereby increasing willingness to refer patients for these medications. A new study in Psychology of Addictive Behaviors is titled Reports of Self-Compassion and Affect Regulation in Psilocybin-Assisted Therapy for Alcohol Use Disorder. This qualitative study demonstrated the importance of psychological factors that influence outcomes in psilocybin-assisted therapy for alcohol use disorder. The findings suggest that psilocybin treatment promoted meaningful and enduring improvements in self-compassion and affect regulation. These psychological processes may help individuals with alcohol use disorder cope with difficult emotions and stress and prevent relapse by encouraging adaptive coping responses. Next, we have a study in BMC Health Services Research titled Clients' Experiences on North America's First Take-Home Injectable Opioid Agonist Treatment Program. This study took place in a clinic in British Columbia, Canada, where 110 clients received injectable opioid agonist treatment The study followed 11 clients with three to six months of stable injectable opioid agonist treatment to attend the clinic once daily and receive two take-home doses. The greater freedom allowed clients to attend to daily activities, such as shopping, laundry, childcare, employment, and recreation. Clients did not divert doses or feel unsafe about transporting or storing the doses. The authors conclude that this program enhanced person-centered care. A new article in World Psychiatry is titled Substance Use Disorders, a Comprehensive Update of Classification, Epidemiology, Neurobiology, Clinical Aspects, Treatment, and Prevention. This comprehensive update on substance use disorders covers topics such as classification and prevalence, as well as neurobiology, risk factors, clinical aspects, and more. Strategies for prevention, especially if adopted in childhood and adolescence, can decrease substance use disorder risk along with that of other mental illnesses. 
Evidence of clinically significant benefits exist for medications, as well as behavioral therapies and neuromodulation. The next article in the American Journal of Psychiatry is titled Fentanyl and Other Opioid Use Disorders. The opioid overdose epidemic, which has been markedly exacerbated by fentanyl, highlights the urgency for psychiatrists to be well-versed on the proper screening and management of opioid use disorder. This article provides a brief review of opioid pharmacology, the neurobiology of opioid addiction, and treatments and promising interventions. It also outlines some knowledge gaps and research needs, particularly in relation to fentanyl. Our next article, titled Prescribed and Penalized, The Detrimental Impact of Mandated Reporting for Prenatal Utilization of Medication for Opioid Use Disorder, is in Maternal and Child Health Journal. Mothers who use opioids during pregnancy often get referred to Child Protective Services, but in some states, including Massachusetts, mandatory reporting is required even for mothers taking medications for opioid use disorder. The authors conducted interviews of mothers with opioid use disorder about the impact of this policy. The mothers reported three main themes. One, they perceived the mandate as discriminatory, unjust, and stigmatizing. Two, the mandate caused stress and negatively impacted family health and well-being. And three, the mandate influenced medical decisions about accessing medications for opioid use disorder during pregnancy. The authors note that while this policy may be designed to identify infants at risk, it itself causes harm to families and has a potential negative impact on uptake of medications for opioid use disorder during pregnancy. Our final article, titled Alcohol Misuse and Gun Violence, an Evidence-Based Approach for State Policy, is in Center for Gun Violence Solutions at the John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Together, the Consortium for Risk-Based Firearm Policy and the Johns Hopkins Center for Gun Violence Solutions developed this comprehensive report with alcohol and gun policy recommendations. The author's aim is to highlight research to inform policy. Despite alcohol being a significant risk factor for gun violence, few attempts have been made to address the interplay between them. Summarized in this article are the connections between alcohol and firearm use, as well as existing state laws and a core set of recommendations for addressing the problem. This concludes today's episode of This Week in Addiction Medicine. Remember to subscribe to the ACM Weekly for more exclusive content and our editor's commentary, delivered every Tuesday. Be sure to check us out on social media and ASAM.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.